This is The UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode number 25 of the UU Perspective podcast, where you can hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world. Whether you're already a member or a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. So sit back and relax and enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. Wow, number 25, how exciting. We've made it to episode number 25, and you're all hanging in there too. Thanks so much for listening. I so appreciate you all being here with me and getting to know a lot of different UUs that we've had. So we've hit practically, man, this is like six months of doing this. So cool. And You know, I'd really love to have more of your feedback now that we're at that six-month mark. And you can go to uuperspective.com and there is what is called SpeakPipe, where you can actually leave a voicemail. And the email, if you have any questions, is questions at uuperspective.com. And, you know, if you have any suggestions for guests, I'd love to hear that also. So today you are going to hear from the UUA, the Unitarian Universalist Association president, and that is Peter Morales. And some of you have probably heard him at General Assembly, and also lots of times you'll see him on Facebook with videos that um, support all different areas, whether it's climate justice, social justice, uh, anything that's that we're up to in the in the UU world. So today you're going to hear from him and we're going to ask him some questions about how he handles the being president of the UUA, what the challenges are and what is our future for UUism, especially when you have so many people who aren't claiming a religion anymore. So it'll be fascinating to hear his answers and let's get to it. So here is Peter all right, welcome, Peter, and I'm just very excited to have you with us today. And I've already given a little information to everyone about you, but I'd like you to tell a little bit about yourself and your role in the UU community. Well, oh, well, thank you, and I'm delighted to be here and on this program, and thank you for, for asking me. Um, my role, obviously, is I'm president of, of our association and have been for six years. I, I'm one of those people who came relatively late to Unitarian Universalism, kind of the classic, had been one for a long, long time without realizing it. I was living in Oregon in the early 90s, and we had friends who lived uh, in Vancouver, Washington, that we'd known for some time, and they were quite active in their UU congregation and would often talk about it and kept encouraging us, to, uh, my wife and me, to, to check out the... Uh, UU congregation in, in Eugene, Oregon. And we typically would say, well, no, thank you. We're not kind of church people. We left that a long time ago. And they would say, no, no, this is different. Uh, you, you, you'd really like it. You'd fit in. So one day we got up with a courage and went, and here I am. <laughs> uh, so that was a it really joined in 95. So it's been kind of a a rapid and, and, and wild ride as a Unitarian Universalist. 
Yeah, apparently. Wow. Because that's about, I think I was about a year later when I I joined. So, <laughs> yeah. So fast, fast rise up into the ranks. <laughs> and who, who has inspired you during your UU journey? Oh, wow. I'd hate to pick one. Uh, well, because I've been inspired by so many Unitarian Universalists that I've met and keep meeting, the, the dedication of of folks, you know, the people working on uh, things like marriage equality or immigration. I mean, these are public uh, witness kinds of things, but their tireless commitment that really comes out of their compassion uh, for other people and their capacity for empathy. Um, and I, you know, the people in, in small congregations who, uh, you know, who are real outposts of progressive thinking in places. Um, and a lot of my colleagues, my ministerial colleagues, continue to, to inspire me. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would list a whole And I hate to start listing names because I'll leave out 10 or 20 people who, uh, who I, you know, I want to call back and say, oh, wait, I forgot to mention so-and-so. <laughs> and now, when did you go to seminary? I graduated in 99, so I, I very quickly, yeah, I've been kind of thinking about a, a career change. I was a, a newspaper uh, publisher and editor, mm-hmm. and, and I got into that as a kind of, I didn't have a name for it then, but as a kind of community ministry, and, and deliberately worked in uh, community journalism in smaller newspapers, and I was thinking about maybe working in an, some kind of nonprofit as well, the industry was changing, and I uh, started looking around, and I'd become a UU, and it, it started thinking about, oh, this ministry thing, you know, looks kind of fascinating, but I didn't say anything about it for a long time, and then in a conversation once, it's a fascinating story, We're kind of looking at our options, and I was uh, talking with my wife, Phyllis, one day, after church, and she said, well, have you ever thought about the ministry? I think you might. I said, well, yeah, I had, but I, was, I thought I'd you know, be referred for mental health counseling if I brought it up. So, uh, And then, so, then I didn't hesitate. I just applied uh, to start King and, and went. And, and one of the things that, you know, you talk about my fast rise, I mean, I, I came into the ministry with a fair amount of... of uh, experience and uh, management and leadership experience. And what I've found with others like that, it's not a typical profile of somebody coming into the ministry. And if you have that kind of background, boy, you get immediately asked to be serve on this and be on that. And Or was, for me, it was I was quite surprised when I managed to get called to a mid-sized, pretty large mid-sized congregation right off the bat. So from one side, it looks like, whoa, you know, very quickly, uh, I, I moved up uh, into the ranks. And while that's true, it's also true that, that I brought, you know, decades of, of, of being in positions of management and responsibility, and, and it made it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Is that partly, I mean, how did you become in line for being elected for president of UUA? Well, you know, the, the system is, is now about to change, but it was, um, I, I had served on the board of trustees 
nationally. Uh, I had actually served two years in, on the leadership council, senior management at the UUA, his position uh, that was then called director of district services. So I knew the UUA, had been involved in it, and uh, I was convinced that we were in a, a time of significant transition and I thought that, that that needed to be brought at least into the conversation in selecting a president. So I really resisted for some time. Uh, a couple of people had raised it as a possibility to me and, and I had said, you know, I have, which I honestly thought was one of the half dozen best settlements in the association, a large congregation in Colorado. Um, and, you know, why would I put that at risk to run for UUA president? But the more I, th I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, I've, I've got this kind of preparation, this kind of experience. Um, I, I should at least offer that up and make sure there's real discussion about setting a new direction. And obviously a significant number of people agreed. And so... So here I am. <laughs> so, so then what was kind of your objective then? Well, not what. So, so let, me, let me answer. A, let me get at that in a kind of indirect way. Mm -hmm. uh, we're experiencing more change in religion right now and religious participation than I think has ever occurred in American history. And probably change that was that's faster now than what happened in the Reformation, for example. You know, the largest, I often repeat this, you know, the largest religious group right now of people 35 and under is nothing. And that's changed from being 5% to 35%. And, and it changed from being 12% to 35% just since the turn of the century in, in and I'm not even, the numbers are changing so fast that every time you cite one, you, you're probably out of date. And so this is an just unprecedented level of change. And I look at other religious, kind of our cousins, if you will, in the religious landscape, um, United Church of Christ, uh, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, kind of the mainline churches that we're most close to. So in eight years, the Presbyterians lost a quarter of their membership. In United Church of Christ, almost as, almost that fast. So it's it's very clear that we're at a time where <clears throat> we have to adapt to a new environment. And, and so that was what my concern uh, has been all the time. We, we live in a time when, you know, when I was growing up, because I'm in my late 60s now, People went to church, maybe not every Sunday, but it was a thing you did. And to a certain extent, if you were a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Catholic, you went out of habit and a sense of obligation and duty. Those days are over. I mean, nobody's going to go out of a sense of obligation anymore. So part of what that means is, the way I've phrased it is, there is no market for mediocrity. And so while if I look at our congregations and delve a little deeply into the numbers, you know, we're about where we were 10 years ago. Last, uh, I think, three years, we've had like a 1% decline per year, which is very troubling. 
all the other people out there, you know, would die for those kind of numbers. Uh, but they trouble me. But they're also very misleading because what we have is about 35, 40% of our congregations that are thriving and growing, about the same number who are in decline, and a chunk in the middle who are kind of treading water, and a number of growing and declining congregations just about offset each other in terms of membership. But because our membership has been pretty stable, might lead someone to assume, well, our membership is is stable in our congregations, but it's not. It's not at all. Um, and and so where you have congregations that kind of really have a sense of mission uh, and have excellent leadership, they'll still thrive. People still uh, hunger for that. But where that's missing, uh, uh, they're in decline. So our challenge is to... Uh, a couple of challenges. One is to revitalize our congregations, the ones that aren't doing as well, to help them get better. Uh, support those that are doing a great job because even if you're growing, you, you face, trust me, I, went, I was in a congregation that went from 400 to 750 members in, in eight years, and there are plenty of challenges to that, staffing, and, uh, all kinds of things. So, so that's one challenge about helping our congregations. And the other one is learning new ways of reaching out and engaging those tens of millions of people who share our values um, and our outlook but are very skeptical about church. church. Church has become a bad brand. People associated with hypocrisy and backwardness uh, young people and uh, and anti-gay, and, and so it's got a lot of bad associations that uh, that's unfortunate. And so we have to find a way of reaching and engaging people um, that goes beyond what we do on Sunday morning in our usual church programming. What does that look like? Well, nobody knows. <laughs> it, it looks like any number of things. Um, and that's why, you know, it's a classic kind of uh, what's known in institutional kind of sociology and uh, business schools as a, a, quote, wicked problem. Not that it's mean. Wicked has nothing to do with its morality. Uh, but a problem that has no obvious solution. And, and it can only be attacked by, by trying to work on it. It comes out of things like urban planning. You know, there's no right way to design Denver <laughs> or, you know, Cleveland. Um, and so, and the only way you, you know, do it is by doing it incrementally. And so I think we're in one of those times, and this is what we're really trying to support nationally, is to support um, innovation and uh, an experimental attitude. So that's led us to do things like... Um, this, this program I'm very excited about around entrepreneurial ministry uh, is teaching some of those, those skills that really come out of organizational schools and business schools, frankly, to our ministers in this era to teach about innovation and leading change uh, in organizations. Uh, that's one thing we do, and to promote a, a, a kind of rich, creative uh, 
response to this and then see what works and then refine what works. I think that's the way we're going to move into it. Yeah, and I think we had uh, Laura Kim Joyner had talked um, a lot about that program. And oh. yeah, and it was very interesting. And it is, it is all about thinking outside of the box and beyond mm-hmm. the walls, right? Oh, absolutely. The good news is, you know, who has uh, more uh, bright and dedicated people than we do? I mean, uh, Unitarian Universalists, if you look at our tradition, we're actually, when we're at our best, we're not the people who are looking to the past. We're, we're people who are saying, whoa, you know, look at these Eastern religions. Aren't they interesting? You know, look at science. Isn't that fascinating what science is teaching us? You know, let's uh, look at the new biblical scholarship. And we've always been at our best to people who uh, accept the changes that are going on and try new ways of, of, of living our values in a new situation um, and, and being open to new change and embracing it. So in that sense, what, what we need to do is what we've always done. Yeah, we're, always, we're, we're a church, that the, uh, an organization that looks into the future, you know, yeah. futuristic yeah. religion, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for yourself, now tell us what your main role is as president. Well, the main role, there are pieces to the, to the, to the role. Uh, all of which are key. I mean, one is that I'm uh, the, the CEO of the of our national staff, uh, and so I we have a staff of people at headquarters in Boston, but but really uh, more more than a quarter of our people are spread out all over the country in our in our field staff. So I'm CEO of a you know twenty five million dollar a year nonprofit organization, religious nonprofit, and as such I'm. But more importantly, I'm, I'm seen as the leader of our faith. You know, so if, if uh, you know, somebody wants to know, be in contact with the position of Unitarian Universalists on, on, on any issue, you know, they look to the UUA. They, they look to, to my office. And so I'm a spokesperson. Um, so a lot of my work, and it's work I welcome and cherish, is to, you know, is to be in Phoenix, to be in uh, Winston-Salem, as I just was uh, last month, uh, to be at the big climate march in New York. Um, I have access to that, and, and so I'm in that way kind of the, 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 the visible spokesperson for Unitarian Universalism. That's a huge role. And then there are other kind of ceremonial roles, and um, and like any person in a position like mine or a university president, there's fundraising that you do, those kinds of things. But those are the main things, heading our organization, uh, trying to set its priorities, live within our budget and, and do the best we possibly can for the movement and, and being the spokesperson. What do you think the biggest personal challenge has been inside of being president? Boy, the the biggest personal challenge, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's a, it's a challenge I think every parish minister and every a religious educator runs into is that uh, there's so much to do and there's only so much of you. And, and, and so in some ways the biggest challenge is to set your priorities and, um, and, and to focus on those 
and to manage your own energy. You know, the, a, a job like this is one where you can easily hit the wall. There's no end <laughs> right. <laughs> to, the, to the number of emails, the number of calls you could make, the number of, you know, um, church visits you can make, all of that. So that's, uh, for me, I've really, now that I'm six years into it, I realize that the, the biggest challenge is, um, it's what all leaders face, is to, to really not get sucked up into things that are peripheral. Is, is there a term limit to the president? Yes. Okay. And that's changing. Since the beginning of the association, it's been uh, kind of based on the national presidency. It's, it's, you're elected for a four-year term, and you can be reelected once. So it's an eight-year limit. The next president will serve for six years, one term. Uh, that was a change that a lot of people aren't aware of that happened shortly after I was elected. Not because I was elected. It was in the, it was in the mix. I don't know how that'll work. Uh, I have mixed feelings about it. So once you're, if you're looking back, once you've finished your term, what do you hope your impact or message will have been as president? Well, the things we're talking about. I mean, ultimately, my hope is that our culture changes as, as a movement to be more forward-looking, a, a culture that tries to seize the opportunities in, in this new environment uh, that, that we have so that we're agile and relevant. Um, the need for progressive religious community is as great now as it has ever been. Americans are probably the loneliest people who've ever lived on the planet. And, and this is based on a lot of social science research, uh, despite you know, Facebook and Twitter and our smartphones and, and all that. Um, because we're so mobile, because kind of family and, and also church membership and participation has changed so much, that people really have fewer um, deep relationships. And it's been a really dramatic change in the last 20 or 30 years. And it's a, it's a fundamental human, emotional, spiritual need to be in relationship. And, and nothing does that the way a, a faith community does. So the hunger and the need for it uh, is there. And, and the potential is just enormous. So what I'm hoping is that we get a lot better at, at, at realizing the very real potential that we have. Because uh, you know, no other faith aligns with the emerging culture the way we do. And so no other faith has our potential to touch lives and change the world the way we do. What we have is a message and a set of values that aligns perfectly and an institutional culture that does not. And so we need to learn how to not change our values one bit, but to shift our institutions. Inside of that shift, are we also creating programs available to people using programs we already have? Is that part how our reach is going to happen? Yeah, and some of it, you know, technology is changing everything. You know, so today I happen to be sitting in Colorado talking to you. <laughs> uh, it, it matters less where somebody is now. There was a time a couple of months ago in Boston at our new headquarters that has a ton more technology where I did my little walking around thing and a coffee break. I, I, I'd love to do that a couple times a day. And I counted five video conferences going on that I could see uh, in our little meeting rooms. And so field staff are connected. And so 
part of what that makes possible, and we're seeing it now, is that people with common interests, as you use, can be in very regular community relations with people who are far away. The, the distance isn't, you know, if we look at, a, at our traditional parish, uh, a traditional congregational form, which still has enormous, I keep wanting to say, it has enormous legs, none right, tremendous potential and, uh, to serve people. But we're seeing on top of that, in addition to that, is ways that people can connect uh, electronically and be in relationship. Not only that, it also helps further a culture of innovation. One quick example. Uh, one of the things that has, a, I believe, a lot of potential for our congregations is multi-site congregations. And we have at least half a dozen congregations that are doing that in one way or another. In other words, having one congregation in several places. Uh, Albuquerque is one. Houston is doing one. San Diego, Rochester, uh, Golden, Colorado, and I'm, I'm sure there are others I'm not popping to mind immediately. Uh, well, the, the people leading those meet with our congregational life staff regularly, and they can just meet across the country, share what's working, what's not working. Uh, there's, so there's enormous potential there. There's a lot of ways for small groups, uh, people of color particularly, often feel very isolated in our congregations, as do our religious professionals. And we're looking for ways of, of, of helping them network that just weren't possible or easy at all to do uh, 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, it's very exciting. I had Scott Taylor on too, and just talking about the multi-sites, I found it fascinating oh. when I attended our district assembly for you know Ohio Meadville District, and that's where I first heard about it. And I was like, wow, this is a really a great thing. So. Yeah. Oh, Scott's passionate about this and doing a great job of leading that effort. You know. Right, right. And has very real practical experience because he did it as a minister in Rochester. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he shared that for sure. So what would you say in UUism, what is the biggest challenge right now? Have, is there anything you haven't mentioned? No. I, I mean, the challenge is, is learning to, I think, let go of some things um, that we've done in order to adapt to the present and the, and the future. And that can be hard for, for people to do, but that's our, our great challenge. And what, what I often say, you know, what, the reason I'm, I got involved at the national level and, and president is, is that tension between where we are and what we possibly could be. And not in a pie-in-the-sky way, really possibly could be. I'll add one more thing because it's something I'm, well, it's the focus of our next General Assembly in Columbus and uh, going to be, for my last two years, a, a major focus of my efforts is that the, the future I'm convinced, and a lot of people are convinced, looks much more multi-faith than what we have now. That if you look at the progressives, progressive Christians, whether they be Protestants, or Catholic, if you look at progressive um, Muslims, if you look at progressive Jews, the differences among them are actually very slight uh, in terms of, of their values and their outlook. Uh, they're, they're very much more concerned with this life and the next, with ethics. Uh, they look at their own tradition as one tradition among many. 
uh, that has great richness, but but isn't inherently better. It's not about true or false. It, it's not true while others are false. Uh, and increasingly younger people share that perspective. So uh, we have a long history of religious progressives uh, working together on things like tolerance and understanding and even appreciation to try to minimize religious conflict and, and both nationally and, and internationally. We have a long history of um, progressive religious groups pushing together to advocate more humane public policy on, on uh, civil rights, on immigration, on uh, income inequality, on environmental justice. We all worked together on that half for a long time. What we've never done is reach out together as faith organizations. We've never done that, and there's no reason not to do that. Uh, we've had a preliminary meeting last May, of uh, included the president of the uh, United Church of Christ, of the um, uh, Union for Reform Judaism, uh, the president of the Islamic uh, Center of North America, um, Religions for Peace, United Religions Initiative, where we explored that. And there's there's going to be a lot more work going on on that this year and, um, and really have a, a big rollout at, at General Assembly. I'm excited about that. I think it's, it's the future. And we have a unique ability as Unitarian Universalists because we're kind of multi-faith at our core, theologically. We're natural people to convene and to lead this effort. Uh, we can do it more easily than, than, than one of the other progressive faith communities can. And so I want us to really live into that possibility. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, the question I always ask all our guests, and I think I'll also have you roll your quote into this because it'll fit well. And it is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? Well, and I actually used the quote about five minutes ago. I mean, Which is? No other faith aligns with the emerging culture the way we do. And so no other faith has our potential to touch lives and change the world the way we do what we have. Now back to the question. If we look at the growing culture that accepts diversity, uh, embraces ethnic, racial, cultural diversity, and, and that culture that wants to learn to live both peacefully and sustainably on the planet, um, and that believes all people have worth and dignity, that is a rapidly growing movement in America. Uh, people who accept, you know, uh, just look at the numbers on the acceptance of, of, of uh, LGBTQ uh, relationships and rights. Uh, I think that's a leading indicator of that. So that, that no other faith, Unitarian Universalism aligns with that emerging culture more than any other faith organization. And because of that, no one else has our potential to touch lives and to change the world. And that's what gets me excited about being a Unitarian Universalist and about being president of our association. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Well, Peter, I appreciate you being on with us and sharing everything about 
you as president of UUA and what our future is going to be like. And I will be, it'll be wonderful to see you, hopefully, you know, if you're not hidden away at GA next yeah, year. Oh, uh, <laughs> you'll see me. Okay. <laughs> Whether Up front. Chat is, uh, and, and thank you so much for having me. It's been delightful. And, you bet. Uh, and thank you for doing this, uh, your program, your podcast. It's, oh, yes. It's a, it's a real service. So thank thanks you. much. All right. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the insights into Peter's role as president of the UUA and a couple of references he made to the multi-sites. You can catch Scott Taylor in episode number 13, speaking more about that. And also when Peter mentioned about the entrepreneurial ministry, Laura Kim Joyner from episode number 16, she speaks to that also. So thanks again. I appreciate all of you who listen out there in the more than 30 countries that we cover. And again, please feel free to leave a message on SpeakPipe. And that is on our website at uuperspective.com along with the show notes. And if you have any questions, you can always leave us an email. And that is questions at uuperspective.com. So have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thank you.